Great to see everybody this morning. Everybody's doing well, right? Perfect, wonderful, beautiful day for February. Uh, all right, spring break is over. It's over. All right, so we're going to have a pop quiz. Everybody get out your pop quiz brain. We're going to talk uh, real quickly. We're going to do a quiz on the subject of walking on the moon. Four questions. All right, here we go. Number one. Who was the first person to walk on the moon? Say it out loud because you know. That's right. From Ohio. All right. Thank you. All right. How many people have walked on the moon? I did not know this. Twelve. You were in the first hour. Just kidding. No, that's awesome. Did you know that for real? Wow. You get like the gold star for the day. Boom. Larry, give him a gold star. All right. <clears throat> How many people have walked on the moon more than once? Like they've done the moon, the earth to moon trip more than once. How many people have done that? Zero is the answer. Zero, zero. It's only happened zero times. Okay. This is the one that's kind of launching us, though. That was a cool pun. This is launching us into our, our topic for the day. What percentage of people think that the original moon landing was completely a fake, that it was a fraud? What percentage? And you, I mean, you just think, you know, whatever. So it was higher than I thought. It's actually 7%. And I thought, man, that's seven out of every 10 people think that the moon landing was fake. And that's, it's this skeptical world that we live in, isn't it? Seven out of what? What did I say? Seven out of 10? Just checking my math. That's good. School's back in. Spring break over. Seven out of every 100 people, that, that's, to me, that was a high percentage. I thought, is that possible that really seven out of every people, every, every people that walk on this planet think that that was like fake? I mean, that's pretty amazing. And it doesn't matter, like, if you give good evidence, they just still think, eh, I don't believe it. And that's the skeptical world that we live in. So as we think about that, in the next two weeks, we're talking about sharing our faith kind of what that means, um, why we would do that, how we might be able to do that, uh, we realize, man, people just, they don't really believe necessarily what we believe. So how do we share the hope that we have? Well, our theme verse kind of gives us a really good clue. Um, it's from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, In your hearts revere or set apart Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, next week, Jordan's going to take this passage and unpack it from 1 Peter. Today, we want to look at just a couple of few key words and then look at a really good Bible story that gives us kind of a, for, a framework for why and how we would do this. So here are just a couple of words from this passage that can be helpful. First, to revere Christ or to set him apart as Lord, some translations say, or worship Christ or honor him, sanctify him, exalt him, consecrate him. They all mean the same thing. They're saying Jesus is holy and we then recognize that and we take our hearts and we move 
out of the space that controls them. And we say, Jesus, you are the one who is in control. And Jesus deserves that because we have seen, not only throughout history, but throughout our own lives, that Jesus, in any circumstance, can be in control and can bring good things, even out of challenging situations. I mean, that's what we just celebrated last weekend, right? The resurrection. I think about the things that happened during that time. It's our hope. And hope is not just some wishful thinking. Hope is confidence that this will really happen. So, for example, in the death of Jesus, we are hopeful. We have confidence that sin is defeated. In the burial of Jesus, we have hope. We have confidence that God is with us even during the most challenging times. In the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope. We have confidence that death is dead. And so again, Jesus provides our hope. And there are some other reasons that we can say this is the hope that we have as as believers in God. Um, Creation itself. There is some powerful evidence that the universe, that we as people who walk on this planet, none of that was accidental, that, that there was a designing, imaginative, intentional creator we, we also see the Word of God. And there is powerful evidence that this really is the truth, that this really is living and active, that this really is God's Word. There's the empty tomb. Again, powerful evidence that points to the resurrection. Jesus came back to life, and, and that's really amazing. We've, we kind of hear about that sometimes, right? In, in a hospital setting, for example, You know, somebody dies and they get out the paddles and they shock them and they come back to life. You know, or or maybe even someone's been dead for, you know, several minutes or even a few hours. But no one has been a a dead uh, person for three days and then come back to life and never died again. That's a different story. That's the hope that we have. In Jesus. There's a lot of other powerful evidence that we can use to point to Christianity. There are people who are really good defenders of our faith. Ravi Zacharias, Lee Strobel, uh, J. Warner Wallace. There are just a lot of people. But here's the truth. Though we can and should provide evidence, a reasonable case for our faith, We can't prove God. We can't prove our faith. We can't prove the hope that we have by science or study or apologetics or even well-meaning movies. And we're not supposed to. But there is a kind of evidence that's pretty compelling. It's kind of hard to deny. It's significant. And it's a significant element that often will change a person who doesn't believe into someone who does when they see this evidence. And it's this. It's the power of a changed life. And we see it in Acts chapter 26. And before we get into our main text, I would just like for us to pray. 
Father God, we know that um, you provide all kinds of evidence for who you really are um, to this skeptical world. But God, one of the most compelling evidences for the reality of your existence, for the reality that you really are alive and active, is a life that used to be a certain way and now has been completely changed and looks like you. God, I pray that as we always keep in mind people who are serving you throughout the world, the missionaries that we have in Eastern Europe and North Africa and Venezuela and Barbados in Northeast India, people serving throughout the United States. God, we ask that as people serve in Haiti or wherever it happens to be, that they would be powerful in their testimony. But would you remind us, Lord, that we have a mission field here as well and that we need to be compelling evidence for your existence. We can't do that on our own, and so we look to you, and we trust in you, and we ask you to change us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 26, we're going to get there in just a second. Um, there are a lot of really good biblical examples of people who have been changed. There's uh, John, who was called the son of thunder and became the apostle of love. Mary Magdalene, who was uh, a very famous public sinner, maybe an infamous public sinner, who became a faithful follower of Jesus. Zacchaeus, the man who was a, a cheating tax collector, who later became a follower of Jesus. When he met Jesus, was changed and gave away money to the poor. And he said, if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to pay him back four times what I cheated them. The Samaritan woman who, because of her shame and sinfulness, came to the well at a time when no one would be there, but met Jesus, was changed, and went back and publicly proclaimed, this is the Messiah. The apostles who, when Jesus was taken away, all of them but John ran away and, and were afraid. And when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and they were uh, infused with his power and began to realize the truth of the message, they, they lived the rest of their lives and even gave their lives as bold witnesses for Jesus. Tons of biblical examples of transformation, but probably the one that's the most powerful, at least the one we have a lot of really good detail on as well, um, great story is about Paul. His name was originally Saul. And Jesus not only changed his name from Saul to Paul, Jesus completely changed his life. And as we read through these passages, there are 29 verses that we're going to look at today. So it's a lot. I'm going to read really fast. Um, so listen fast. But the main idea, we're just going to break this into some sections. And the idea that we want to get from here, even though there's a lot more that we could get out of it, is that we need to follow the example that Paul gives here. We see that he says, I, I used to be like this. I was this guy. And then I met Jesus. And now I'm different to his glory by his power. And guess what? You can be too. So let's go through this story again quickly. 
chapter 26 of Acts, starting in verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially... Excuse me. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise of our, our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. So Paul explains, this is who I used to be. And three really quick observations from this. One, Paul is talking to people he knows. He's talking to people who know him. He's talking about these Jewish people. This is a very personal story. Second, when Paul... uh, When it came to the idea of persecuting Christians, I mean, Paul was absolutely all in. He was 100% convinced that what he was doing was right. But it was 100% wrong. Never happens with us, does it? But something changed Paul, Saul. Rather, someone changed him. He was going one way, and then... He met Jesus. Verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, which means it's hard for you to go against God's will. And then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul very, very clearly points to Jesus. Paul simply says, I met Jesus. And three quick observations here. First, when you meet Jesus, you know it. When you really meet Jesus, it's obvious. Now, you might not go blind, but your vision will be completely changed. Second, you can fight against Jesus all you want, but you can't win. Kind of reminds me of, uh, let's say, two elementary schools are playing basketball together um, against each other. The only difference is uh, elementary school A has Steph Curry on their team, all right? Now, which team do you think is going to win every single time they play? 
obviously the one with Steph Curry. And that's kind of what Paul found out. I mean, he was going against Jesus. And Jesus doesn't lose. Third, when you follow Jesus, just like he did for Paul, he has a great plan for your life. So Paul says, you know, I was this guy, then I met Jesus, and now I am different. Verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Paul's saying, I'm a different person now. I used to be the one who persecuted Christians and persecuted Jesus himself. And now I am out proclaiming Jesus. So three quick observations here. First, change comes from obedience. Paul said, I did not disobey. I followed what was planned for me. And by, by being obedient, that's when change began to happen in his life. Second, when God changes you, good things happen from it. You're just naturally going to do the things that God wants you to do. And so positive things come out of your life. And third, as Paul found out, once you stop fighting God, you see that God fights for you. It's a remarkable story. He, he was opposing God and found out when he stopped doing that that God opposed those who opposed him. He became God's friend. God was his ally. God was the one who helped him, who provided strength for him, who protected him. So Paul shows that Jesus changed him. And then he goes one step further, and this is the one that often is the most challenging for us. Verse 24. And we see right at the beginning why it's most challenging. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with all these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. So Paul knows that Agrippa or Festus or anyone can also be changed by God. One more time, three related uh, observations. First, we should expect opposition and even ridicule. It's just going to happen at some point if you're living for Jesus. And so if it's not happening, well, fill in the blank. Second, note that some people 
are not going to respond immediately to the message of Jesus. That's okay. Our responsibility is to simply share the truth of what God has done in our lives when, as we see here and as we see in 1 Peter, when we are invited to share our story. Third, so because of those things, we are simply patient and we're faithful and we pray and we leave it in God's hands. Paul's remarkable life change points to Jesus. And when he's writing his letter to the Romans, he, he makes an incredible statement in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, one that most of you know. It says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Transformation isn't self-help. It's not uh, the ability to be a self-improving person. It's not a list of things that you do. Transformation is God changing us. See, the common factor between Zacchaeus and John and Mary Magdalene and Paul, any of the other apostles, or any contemporary person you meet who has been changed is not this great effort that they made or some kind of human strength. It's simply placing themselves in a place where God will change them because God changes lives. Listen to these verses, John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Acts 4, 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, not the fruit of our efforts. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then Paul, in his letter to, first letter to the Corinthian church, says, you know, when I was a child, <laughs> I, I behaved like a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. He's saying, God changed me. God changed me. Change, real, lasting change, happens when we make Jesus Lord. I was this, then I met Jesus, and now this is who I am for his glory. Now, as great as the example of Paul is, or any of the other biblical examples that we have, those were thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away. Even the contemporary stories of someone like a Steph Curry or, or a Carrie Job, somebody that God is using to do powerful things, it's, it has an influence on us, but you know we've never really met them, or if we have, it was a quick photo op and a selfie we don't really know that person. The greatest impact comes when we see a person who is transformed by God, someone we know personally. And for that very reason, you live exactly where you live. You go to school where you go to school. You work where you work. You have the friends that are your friends. Your family is your family. 
See, God has you exactly where he needs you to be so that your story of change provides hope, provides a witness, provides evidence to the fact that God really is alive. Your changed life can change a skeptic's heart. I'd like you to just close your eyes for a minute and listen to the words of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and realize that this is a truth about you, if you are a follower of Jesus. Not about everyone but you. This is about you. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about the things down here on earth. For you died when Christ died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will also share in his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. God's terrible anger will come down upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old evil nature and all its wicked deeds. In its place, you have been clothed with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ who created this new nature within you. In this life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. That's our victory, and that's our opportunity. See, there are two responses when we read a passage like that. One response is kind of the good news side, and the other one is more on the bad news side. And first, the good news. The good news is we can probably think of an area that God has been working, an area where God has been transforming our lives. For example, and I used to get angry all the time, and, and I was really uh, angry easily. And... And I realized the damage this was causing in my own life and also the, the damage it was causing to people around me. And, and so I said, God, would you please help me with this? And two things happened. Uh, I found James 1.19, which tells me that I should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And and I memorized that verse, and every day I ask God to remind me of it when I wake up. And the other thing that happened is God reminded me that the fruit of the Spirit includes patience and self-control. And so I continually ask the Holy Spirit to have control of my life and to produce His fruit in me. So I'm not perfect, but... I can really see this is an area where God's working in my life. 
What a testimony, right? It doesn't matter what the area is. You can probably think of something where I used to be this, and now I'm this because Jesus has been in control. And as a church family, we want to capture those stories. We want to capture them and share them with the body here, partially because it's just really helpful for others, you know, to know that God is working and to provide motivation in our own lives. But most of all, just to give glory to the Father. And when we have those stories, uh, when those life change things are happening, people around us really do want to know why we're different and what the source of our hope and what the source of our change is. And that's when the door opens to share Jesus. And that's, again, what Jordan's going to talk to us more about next week. So, good news. We celebrate the victories that we're having in our lives. The bad news is maybe you can look back six months or a year and you can say, honestly, I'm exactly the same as I was. I haven't seen any, any change at all. You know, greed was a problem for me a year ago. Greed's still a problem for me today. Whatever it happens to be. So recognize that. And then confess it to God and ask for God to change you. It really goes back to the first thing in 1 Peter where Paul said, or Peter said, what you need to do then is set apart your life for Jesus. Put Jesus in the center. Honor him, revere him, worship him. Make him first. And that happens two different ways. It happens as a one-time action when we say, Lord, I need you. I need to confess you. Um, I need to surrender control of my life to you. I need to repent. I need to turn around and I need to walk back to you. And I need you to be in charge. I confess my sins. Lord, I give my life to you. I'm going to be baptized. And I want you to be in complete control. It's a one-time thing. But it would be dishonest if we said that was the only time you do that. It's a daily process. It's an hourly decision to say, Lord, I still struggle with some things. I need you to be Lord of this area of my life. Tim Allen, you may have seen, it's kind of the, his story's been flying around different news um, outlets and social media and things. His story is one of transformation where he used to be broken. He dealt with depression, resentment. He was a, an alcoholic and drug-addicted person. And then he met Jesus, and everything changed. His story and our story, they're essentially the same. We need to surrender control to Jesus and then live hope-filled lives. And when someone asks, then we give the reason for the hope that we have. So as we pray, we're going to ask God to help us do that. Would you please stand with me? God, we thank you that we can simply tell you what's on our hearts.
We're grateful for areas that you're changing us, ways that you're changing us to be more loving or more patient, um, more generous, ways that we might look more like you and live out your character. And we recognize that only happens when we move over and we let Jesus be in control. To be honest, we might not know exactly what that looks like. And to be honest, we might not even want to do it. So we ask for your help. In areas that we still want to rule, give us strength to surrender. In things that still control us, we ask that you would intervene, that you would change the situation, you would change the direction, you would change our hearts. And then, God, would you give us opportunities and confidence to share the hope that we have, which is Jesus. As we sang earlier, you cannot fail. The only thing we found is through it all, you never let us down. And so again, we say thanks. In the name of Jesus.